This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though... That's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty Network. Of course, um, if you're new to this show, there's two ways to listen to this podcast, either on the Lions of Liberty Network feed or on my Finding Freedom solo feed, which you can find by searching Finding Freedom and John Odermatt. If you're watching on YouTube, we do have over 6,000 YouTube subscribers. Of course, we're shadow banned, so only like 80 to 100 people get to see it. We can't do super chats. We can't monetize. But if you are watching on YouTube or on Odyssey or Rumble, because we're expanding those uh, platforms as well, you'll see my video feed right now is really strange. I'm, I'm disappearing into the background. Um, but it is what it is. I'll worry about that another time. I want to get to today's show. Really awesome show with two guests today who wrote a book debunking the uh, Communist Manifesto. And really, it's more than just debunking the crazy ideas in the Communist Manifesto. Uh, more so, it's mapping out a future of how really individuals can find freedom in today's world and how we're going to expand that freedom going forward, the, the tools and uh, and platforms we can use. So really excited to get to that interview. Um, I just want to remind you, if you're, if you're enjoying this show, we have, of course, my show every Monday, Finding Freedom. We have Brian's show every Wednesday, Mean Age Daydream. And we have a new show every Friday, Meme Wars. And if that's not enough for you, which I can understand if it's not enough for you, we do have bonus shows in our Patreon feed or at locals.com, lionsofliberty.locals.com or patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. We have, during the fall and into the winter, we have a show every Friday called Degenerate Gamblers where we just really talk about random stuff and and talk about a little bit of sports betting. And we have our new conspiracy conspiracy show, Secrets, Lies, and Cover-Ups. And you have every single weekday, Brian McWilliams brings you Good Morning Bleephead. And yeah, so if you want more content, please uh, become a patron of Lions of Liberty for as little as $5 a month. All right, let's waste no more time and get into today's show. We are live to the Lions of Liberty Pride. I'm joined here today by two guests. I'm joined by Alex Savetsky and Mark Moss. They are the co-authors of the Uncommunist Manifesto. And as they describe this book, um, in the book, it's 
counter-inspired by the infamous Communist Manifesto. You might have guessed that, of course. That was written by Marx and Engels. Uh, This short book, The Uncommunist Manifesto, hopes to challenge what may be unconsciously acquired biases and beliefs people all walks of life are carrying with them. Mark and Alex, welcome to Finding Freedom. Thank you, John. Thanks so much, John. Great to have you guys here. I know we had a, had a little bit of trouble scheduling this for, for a couple of weeks. We're all in very different time zones and getting yeah. that to work out. Uh, took some time, but I'm glad we were able to uh, to make this work. So excited for this conversation. Um, I think a good place to start before we get to the book, just to familiarize my audience with each of you, if you could uh, each start out giving you know, some background on yourself and you know maybe what what led you? What was the, the catalyst to, to bring you uh, to these ideas of liberty? And let's start with Alex, since you're clockwise on the screen. All right. So I guess this is a beauty before age. All right. Let's do it. Um, so the uh, what brought me to this? I think I, I've always... I wrote a little uh, essay recently called, um, you know, Bitcoin is responsibility go up technology. And, and in there I described how since a young, since being young, I was always very freedom oriented. Uh, I've always been a bit of a free. I've always been, um, how can I say, uh, I've always pushed the envelope uh, of things and I've always, um, I've always kind of been my own man, making my own decisions. And and I think I've always just had that grain of freedom. Like in, in my values, hierarchy freedom has definitely always been uh, at the top. And I didn't I didn't really get into any Austrian econ or anything like that until after I discovered Bitcoin. Like in, in 2011, I stumbled along, um, you know, the Max Kaisers and Mike Maloney's and all those of the world when uh, it was sort of post-GFC. Uh, the crash had happened, and I was a I was a dumb. What was I? Tw- not 18, 19, 20, basically in university during the GFC, and I had taken all of my money and placed it on the stock market, gambled my way into a small fortune, and then gambled my way into quarter of a million dollars in debt by the time I turned twenty, and that that sort of that sort of put me on a journey to learn, and and I became a bit of a gold silver bug. You know, I bought that stuff. I kind of had a I had a bit of exposure to sort of Austrian economics, but n- nothing more than that. And then the rest of my life was very entrepreneurial. So once again, freedom oriented, I wanted to work for myself. I didn't want to be under anyone else's thing. I wanted to just make my own decisions, all that. And yeah, it was really when I discovered Bitcoin again, that I started doing a lot of thinking, a lot of digging. I've always read a lot, but during that sort of phase of my life between say 2012 and 2016, 90% of my reading was uh, entrepreneurial books, business, management, all of that sort of stuff. And Bitcoin kind of, I guess, in many people, it just, it's almost like a renaissance of like thinking. And as I started digging, I found my way into Austrian economics, into libertarian thinking. And it all just made so much sense to me because in my mind, like it was always, if you want to, if you want anything in life, you need to work for it first. You know, you need to sow before you reap. Like all those sorts of things made sense to me because I was entrepreneurial in nature. So, yeah, here I am, 2022. Uh, last couple of years, I think, radicalized a lot of us, um, which sort of showed us how important these libertarian Austrian econ principles are. And um, 
And yeah, I, I've been writing more publicly since 2016 on a regular basis. And Mark and I decided to get together and write this book at the beginning of the year, which is sort of my first foray, both of our first forays actually into writing books. And I think there's going to be a lot more to come. So anyway, that's a, a bit of a brief overview on me. All right, Mark. That was good. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, we're on a freedom-minded podcast, so, um, you know, talking about that, I think, you know, I, I kind of grew up that way. I'm not somebody who was, like, red-pilled at some point. Um, my uh, grandfather was a decorated World War II vet. My father was a Vietnam vet, um, and I, I was born into, like, an Air Force family. So I kind of uh, just figured that was, like, my path, right, uh, fighting for freedom kind of a thing. Um, politics is something that was always discussed, still, still discussed around our kitchen table. Um, so kind of always – uh, kind of grown up around that. I, uh, I started my career, uh, early just, uh, right into real estate investing and, um, kind of started right as a, as a real estate investor. I also started multiple businesses, um, had fortune five, 500 exit, um, made a lot of money. And then, um, in 2008, when the great financial crash happened, I got just blasted like, like millions of other Americans did. Hmm. And, um, it made me realize that even though like I could, could kind of control what I could see and I was pretty good at business and making money, there was like this whole financial system that I didn't understand what was going on. And so I had to go figure that out. And so, um, kind of, uh, like what Alex said, it was kind of like Mike Maloney and gold. And it was like, Oh my gosh, this is the whole problem, the fiat money system. And we need to go back to a sound money system and gold. And so that kind of pulled me into that, uh, the, the sound money, you know, Austrian economics thing, uh, where I've kind of spent the better part of, uh, now about uh, a dozen years or so. Um, so always been, been freedom minded. I, um, being freedom minded, I was, you know, obviously really concerned with the way things were going. And I remember like 2012, 2013, just being really disillusioned with the way things were going. And, uh, I, I first bought Bitcoin in 2015 and I realized like, wow, we actually have a tool that we can win with now. Now it's not hopeless. I actually have hope now, um, something we can actually change the system with other than just hoping, praying and voting. Um, and so I thought, well, shoot, you know, I need to tell everybody I can about this. And so I've been creating content, uh, specifically around that for, um, about six, seven years now at this point. Um, and really kind of focusing on, on the freedom aspects of it. Um, you know, controlling our private property, how that can free us up. And I've, I've become an educator. So now I'm educating people. I have a nationally syndicated radio show. I have a podcast. I have a pretty big YouTube channel and all different outlets with different types of education, just trying to educate people to what's going on. And so the book was sort of a, uh, as Alex said, is our first foray into writing, but it was sort of a natural progression where I'm trying to get these ideas out as best as I can into as many people's minds as I can. Uh, following Samuels Adams' advice that it doesn't take a majority to prevail, but rather a minority keen on setting brush fires in the minds of men. And so through this education, we can share this. And so, um, yeah, just on a mission to educate as many people as I can, help them understand what's going on because um, it's not easy to kind of figure it out today. Um, and uh, yeah, we just continue to do that. Very cool. And not surprising that, I mean, it's that the two of you came together to decide to to write this book and, and to really respond um, to the Communist Manifesto. When hearing both your backgrounds, you know, it, it kind, kind of makes sense and it, a good fit. But I'm curious as to how this whole thing came about, how the two of you really dis- decided to collaborate and why you selected, you know, writing this type of book spe- specifically as a response. Yeah, um, Mark, Mark and I had connected a while back and I think it was right, right during sort of like the peak of the hysteria in 2020 and we we jumped on a podcast and had a great conversation. We kind of kept in touch, you know, throughout all that time. 
throughout the, the Bitcoin conference in Miami. And then we um, were actually in El Salvador a couple months before uh, it became legal tender. And Mark was actually mentioned to me, like, you read the Communist Manifesto? And I was like, why the hell would I read that stupidity? And he's like, it's really bad. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sure it is. <laughs> you know, we just sort of had this conversation. Yeah, I don't know. I think Mark floated the idea or I floated. We just sort of had a chat about, like, you know, someone, I think it was maybe the first comment was like, someone should write a book that just kind of like rebuts this uh, thing. And yeah, it wasn't until six months later, I was in Colombia, had some changes in my life uh, due to, you know, my own disagreements with the state uh, and the way it operates, particularly in Australia. And, um, and I was basically making a conscious decision to go lean more into content creation starting 2022. And, um, and I just told Mark, I said, hey, let's get together. Let's write this fucking thing. Um, I think we've got a book here. And I think it's to be written, and it was it was really unique because we didn't. I, I don't think either of us really knew what was going to come out of it. Like we we locked ourselves in an Airbnb for a week, and we you know I had gone and taken a bunch of notes before that were like re- point by point rebuttals of like marks, and we got together and like okay, what the hell are we going to do? How are we going to do this? We had no idea what it was going to be called. We were talking like the individualist manifesto or the sovereignty manifesto and like all the names just sounded crap. Anyway, we just started writing and somehow what came of it, and this is sort of, I'm, I hear people read sections of the book without sounding like I'm blowing smoke up either of our asses. Like the book actually is pretty well written and it, it's, it's eloquent and it isn't just the rebuttal of Marx's points. It's actually its own sort of manifesto. It's like a, manifesto of individual freedom responsibility property rights and you know maturity like if if anything like the the things that we want civilization humanity move towards so anyway yeah we just kind of put that together and then the way the name came about actually mark's wife was sitting there having um having some food over at a over in austin and we're kind of throwing around name and she's like what about the uncommunist manifesto? <laughs> and it was just one of those, you know, classic moments. We were just looked at each other, we're like, "Shit, that's good." And here we are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he summed it up really well. I mean, that kind of covers everything. I think the one thing was uh, he mentioned, you know, the twenty twenty pandemic and and whatnot. And I had, uh, you know, studied lots of books on capitalism, mostly capitalism, some on communism. Uh, the historical effects of communism, Bolshevik Revolution, Mao's Great Leap Forward, etc. Um, some into communism excel, itself, you know, one one great book is like uh, The Naked Communist, I think is a really good book for people to read. But I hadn't actually read The Communist Manifesto. And I remember, I think maybe the trigger for me that got me kind of interested was um, in, uh, in right around there in 2020 when we were having like all those BLM riots. And the leaders, uh, the girls, the ladies that were running BLM said they were trained Marxists. That was their quote. So I'm like, what does that even mean, train Mark? What is Marxism? And so like, well, let's go back to the source. Like, I, I believe we should go back and read it. And so I did. And so I read it. And then I was like, I can't believe anybody would actually read this book and actually like it, especially women. And they were the ones that said they were trained Marxists. Um, 
And so that's where I read it and I was shocked. And then, yeah, as Alex said, I'm like, man, can you believe, uh, I, I asked him, like, can you believe what's in this book? And, and I felt like if we could shine the light on it, because people are just kind of going along with it, like, oh, yeah, sounds mm -hmm. great. Sounds great. Like people tell them, um, you know, Marxism is where everybody's fair. Everyone's equal. Oh, I like that. I'm for Marxism then. Right. But it's like, are you really, do you really understand what it is? And I thought if we could shine the light on it um, and show people like, this is really what it is. It's not just everyone has unicorns in their backyard and we're all equal. It's like, no, uh, it's, it's much different. So if we could shine the light on what it really is um, and then maybe highlight a better way, maybe we could kind of wake people up to it. And so I guess that was kind of the deep down motivation for me and the, and the trigger point there. Yeah, I would agree with, with both of you. The book definitely, while it is a response to the Communist Manifesto, it definitely stands on its own, too. Um, and uh, it's, it is, it does kind of outlay a, a path forward. I forget which one of you said it, but it's really, you know, a, a responsible life, um, understanding, delayed gratification, um, things like that. I think there's some great lessons in the book. Uh, but I want to start with a unique characteristic that you don't see very often in books with several pages of definitions at the beginning, which yeah. I think I think is interesting. And I think it's a, a good idea in that when discussing ideas like this, there is often so much confusion around terms. Um, what do we mean by inflation? Are we talking about price inflation? Are we talking about monetary inflation? What do we mean by capitalism? I mean, capitalism is a, is a very difficult Word word to define, and it gets defined incorrectly, I think, by by most people. So, what what was the uh, you know impetus behind deciding to include those definitions? I think this. I was... think I, I would I would say it was probably more credit to Alex on that piece. Um, I, I would think uh, I, I guess maybe I gave him credit. I should let him answer. Uh, I would just say uh, originally it was like um, I. I have personally thought that the word capitalism is so misunderstood and it's so, uh, yeah, so misunderstood that I've been kind of been changing my language to say like free markets, which I think are more descriptive. And I think that was a point that Alex and I first discussed. And I was like, well, you know, we, uh, we should probably abandon that word and kind of um, use free markets. And Alex is like, no, we need to like defend that word. We need to make capitalism great again. And we should really defend that word. And, and, and so I think maybe that was kind of the inspiration for it. And we decided to stick with that word and really dig out the definition. Um, Alex, I don't know, go ahead and talk about the rest. Yeah, that there was that. And I think <clears throat> there was a bunch of terms that we we're using throughout to try and make the point. And what I felt was like, shit, I'm using all these words like forcing function and like, you know, adaptability and fitness and all this stuff. So I just sat down and I thought, man, we, we got to like, we, we have to define these terms. Like we, we can't just say these things. And, and that was one of the things that really pissed me off about Marx's book and really pisses me off about a lot of books is that they, they go in and they plant they bunch of words around. And I guess th this is probably a big reason why Mark and I get along is that we're not um, surface level people. Like when, when we talk about ideas or when we want, like Mark is great at this when he does research, like when he's going to discuss a point, Mark will kind of like dig through the cycles of history and like a million things and kind of like get to the source of what happened. And for me, like, you know, so, so Mark's more a historian in that sense. For me, I'm more about like precision in an argument and precision around language. So while I don't go into sort of the, the detail and, you know, digging through the history, I like to get to sort of like an a priori idea is like, where did the idea actually spawn from? And I think that combined, yeah, just led us down this path of, 
hey, you know, let, let's actually define some terms. And, and I think what we did that was special in this is that we didn't just go and like Google definitions, you know, like what does Mary Webster say, you know, for what is capitalism, right? Like it's, we actually sat down and thought about it. And, and this is where I, I feel like, um, you know, I, I personally got a lot out of the process because I actually stopped to think for a minute, like fitness is one of the ones we use in there. And I was thinking about fitness. People just think of fitness as like some either elitist, you know, trope or like something you do when you go to the gym. And like, I just thought deeply, I'm like, fitness, what is fitness? It's like, well, it's, it's that which fits. And that which fits means it's like the most adaptable or the most right for the situation. So like fitness in essence is like something moral, like it's, it's, it's correct you know, if, if morality is something that is correct. And, and anyway, there's, I, I think there's some strong definitions and capitalism, I think was also another one of my favorite ones in there is as we were throwing this idea around, um, I actually remember where that, the seed of that idea actually hit me was when I was writing an essay, basically disparaging democracy is a stupid idea. Um, someone pushed back, uh, someone was commenting on my essay and they said something about capitalism. Well, if you say that about communism, you have to say it about capitalism. I was like, no, I don't think you do because capital is, you know, things and stuff and capitalism is about using the things and stuff better. Like, and then, you know, as Mark and I discussed it, we're like, wait a minute, we've been doing this from the beginning of time. Like, so, and then that was kind of the light bulb moment. And I think that's one of the strong takeaways. I'm sorry if I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but no, like great. one of the strong takeaways of the book is, um, is this idea that, capitalism is not a political modality it's not something that we came up with you know 200 years ago when marx was around that you know spawned the industrial revolution we've been, we've been doing capitalism since the beginning of time since the first time we uh, you know the example we always use is since the first time we threw a stick at an animal to you know decrease the amount of energy we expended in the acquisition of food and then the division of labor which is you know again capitalism since the first time someone started a fire and we shared the food with the guy who started the fire like this is what we do and the extent to which we suffocate that process is the extent to which a political wrapper around it is either effective or not effective and and that's really the question here and that's what we try to do in the book is like let's separate this stuff and let's have an actual discussion about um politics without infecting uh the ideology with like you know economic illiteracy basically and yeah i i think we did a good job with the um the definitions at the very least and then the rest of it yeah yeah and, and i would just add to that just one more time i've just it's that you know in today's day and age <clears throat> we've lost so much we've we've lost the definitions of words and <clears throat> all the words are being uh, changed right the definitions of words are being changed and so um it's one big problem like uh we see more and more throughout the world is like people are talking past each other uh, simply because we just have different definitions of those words in our head. And um, so kind of like Alex said, like these were words that were going to be used throughout the book. And so we thought, let's just establish what we mean by these words. So that way everyone can kind of understand what we, what we're saying as opposed to um, reading it, but then having their own definition of those words. So I think it's important. It's, it's more important now than ever uh, with, with these yeah. words changing. And so um, I think it, hopefully it makes sense to people reading the book. I think hopefully it's also a takeaway. I mean, our goal was to keep the book short and hopefully there's a few key takeaways people could have. And one of those might be, hey, before you dig into a conversation, 
make sure you're talking the same language. Make sure your definitions are the same before you start trying to dig into ideas or dispute mm-hmm. information, things like that. Yeah, and I just want to insert right here, but we'll, at the end, we'll, we'll talk about it too. But um, we'll talk about some of the ideas in the book, but obviously, you know, I, would, I would encourage people to go out and, and buy the book and read it. Of course, the two of you are, are anti-IP, so at the end of the day, you want the book to get shared as, as much as possible. Um, but so we'll talk about some of the ideas. Obviously, we're not going to get to everything in an hour here today. Um, what, one part that I thought was was really cool, and I think that is a lot of people don't understand, where where you talk about how how Marx and Engel really got the the foundation wrong around human nature and what motivates human beings, and them thinking that you know humans are motivated you know, strictly or mostly by power and you stating, I think correctly, that humans are motivated by by meaning, by by progress. Um, could you expand on on that idea and re- really how you came to including that in the book? Mark, do you want me to take that one? Or? Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay. So, so I think I mean I mean this this sort of comes back to there's three schools of uh, psychological thought that you know also emerged out of Vienna, um, out of Austria. You you've had a uh, what was it? You had um, uh, Freud, you had uh, Alfred Adler, and you had uh, after them um, during World War Two, you had um, Viktor Frankl. And Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Social Meaning, is, is mm-hmm. quite powerful. Now, the thing is, you you do the the drive for power and the drive for meaning in some way are related. I think meaning is deeper um, because you know me- meaning is kind of the substance. You know, power is the means in a sense, um, in, you know, and sort of the substance I think is, um, is, is far deeper, but, you know, I think you look at, um, people like Marx is that they, you know, that their, their shallowness in terms of the understanding of human nature basically then is reflected in, in the rest of their thinking. And I mean, I mean, a great example is that, uh, you know, the, this attempt to just, if we just remove privation, everyone's going to be happy. You know, like that, that's, that's how we solve everything. It's like you give, give everyone what they basically need, their, their basic needs, and then everyone will be happy. And, and that is so false. And I think Jordan Peterson does a good example, a, a good um, job of explaining this. I think I saw him talk about it in a, uh, in one of his uh, lectures where he just says the, um, in many ways, and I'm going to paraphrase and probably butcher what he said, but he says, in many ways, human beings are seeking to continue seeking. And and that process of seeking is, what are we seeking? We're seeking meaning in, in that which we do. And um, and this is what the sort of the Marxists don't understand. And, and, you know, Mark and I have said this in podcasts in the past. It's like, you know, Marxism, communism, this sort of collectivist ideology it all sounds nice and fluffy on the surface. It's like sort of first order thinking. It's never, it's rarely second order thinking and it's never third or fourth or subsequent order thinking, right? Like yeah. to have some depth in thought, you actually need to think beyond that and, and sort of come back to substances. It's like, what, are, what do people actually crave? What do they want internally? What needs are they trying to meet? And, you know, that sort of stuff is all ignored by uh, the Marxists and it's ignored at the cost of what are we now? Hundred million lives, you know, just in democide, you know, across you know two nations, let alone everywhere else around the world. So, so you know, when, when people say that, oh, you know, 
definitions don't matter and like, you know, not thinking too deeply. Ignorance is bliss and, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, no, 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 it does <laughs> because, mm-hmm. you know, these, these sorts of ideas, this sort of ignorance, this sort of first order thinking has led to the greatest, by far the greatest atrocities. Like everyone focuses on the Nazis, but they miss the fact that maybe 20, 30, 40 X people were like literally slaughtered and killed by the ideologies on the other side of the spectrum. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's wild. Anyway, I've gone on for a rant there. I'll shut up for a moment. <laughs> Anything to add on that, Mark? No, I mean, uh, I think he summed it up pretty well. Okay. Um, so talking about hierarchies and, you know, obviously, you know, you, got, you guys have the diagrams in the book showing different hierarchies over time and how they've evolved from feudalism um, to, uh, you know, the, the modern day hierarchy of having your uh, elites, your politicians and your banks at the top and, and, and down from there. And you propose this, this new idea of a, uh, a dynamic, I think you call it a dynamic uh, hierarchy or, or dynamic social mobility. So can can you explain? And it's like to, to visualize it, I guess, for the people. It's you know circular instead of triangular, um, with 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 movement between the uh, the classes. So could could you explain that idea? Yeah, I think uh, you know in today's day and age, with all the words of uh, equality and diversity, you know, you, 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 they, this this uh, Marxist dream of everybody being equal. Is, is a big scam, right? It's, it's a big lie. Like nobody's equal and we all have different hierarchies. Um, everything in life is, is enough of hierarchies. We're all unequal at different things and different times. Uh, Alex is holding up the diagram, but it's not you really kind of kind of see it. Uh, there it goes a little bit. Um, there you go. You and, and so we always have hierarchies. We're already, we're always prioritizing. We're always discriminating. Last night at Chipotle, I discriminated over chicken and I put I picked steak instead, right? So like we're always discriminating. You're racist. Always, yeah, I'm racist against chickens, right? I wanted steak. And so we're always discriminating. I wore um, brown jeans instead of blue jeans today, right? And so it's like uh, I decided to wear, you know, whatever. So like we're always discriminating. We're always creating hierarchies. Um, and things are always uh, equally out of balance as they are in balance. So the diagrams show like, you know, different types of systems, feudal systems, et cetera, which are controlled and and kind of managed centrally planned top down and we showed us a circular and the reason why is because um, everybody's at different stages and we think like the middle is probably the fattest part that's kind of where the average person is fat in the middle um, and, and that's kind of why it swells in the middle but we think that it should be dynamic where people are able to move up and down and so again we're not all equal and we shouldn't be all equal um you know, I would imagine Jeff Bezos probably worked 80 hours a week for 20 years to get to where he got. And while everybody wants his riches, does everybody want to work that much? Because I certainly don't, right? Um, some people just want to be on a beach in Nicaragua surfing and fishing every day. And that's fine. And they should be able to do that if they want. Like, we shouldn't all have to work equally. And so we don't all have the equal outcome. You know, LeBron James is a better basketball player than I am. Like, it's just things are unequal. And so, um, but what we, what we kind of, use those diagrams for is to show that in a political system, they try to force order. They try to force the hierarchy and then those hierarchies are static, right? And so uh, if you're born in this class, you're stuck in this class and nobody can move up from that class. Whereas we believe that people should be able to move up, which we kind of have in a capitalist system, but what we have specifically in the United States and and most of the developed democracies, um, we don't have the ability to fall back down. 
right? And so the fiat money system allows these people to have no consequence at the top. Um, as we're as we're recording this interview, Facebook or, or Meta has just posted massive losses. Like they're just getting absolutely smashed right now. Mark Zuckerberg made bad bets. He went into the metaverse and he's losing big time. And in that type of environment, his he should have responsibility in those decisions. He could potentially lose his company, lose his money, and he could fall back down. Um, but what we see, like I said, in this democracy, this fiat money system is then we have these people, bankers, et cetera, make these bad decisions, but the fiat money system bails them out, props them up. They use government regulations to build uh, walls around themselves. Um, and so, you know, we we don't like that system, obviously. And th that's what the di diagrams show is that we should have this dynamic system where people can move up and down um, at the same time. I just want to add one thing to this. It's um, as, as Mark was talking about the uh, the choosing between steak and chicken at Chipotle um, or different genes or whatever. Like it actually reminded me of a book that I read, which was a, it, it was a fictional book about uh, a period in um it was kind of like the, the early Bolshevik takeover of the uh, of Russia, and um, and it's it's called A Gentleman in Moscow. Um, good 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 little book. Um, and the, the the this guy basically gets under house arrest for almost the entirety of his life because he was a noble um, aristocrat from the previous sort of no nobility in in Russia before the Bolsheviks came in and. He had written a poem that was anti-monarchic or something like that, so they they allowed him to live under house arrest in this hotel. But anyway, the 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 part that I'm getting to is the communists. The way they tried to solve the problem of discrimination for everything was just to equalize everything and remove choice. So they abolished all the different flavors of food. For example, ice cream, and they only had vanilla. Um, mm. With the wines, they literally paid people to go downstairs in the cellars and from the hundreds of different wine selections that they had, they paid them to go and remove the labels from every single bottle of wine and mm. call it red or white. That was it. So everything was either red or white. There wasn't a choice between which reds or, you know, like, so you have wines that were maybe were aged for 50 or 100 years versus a shitty wine next to it that was like not aged or whatever, were the same thing, all red, all white. So, so this is like how ridiculous that kind of ideology is. It's basically the elimination of color, the elimination of flavor, the elimination of diversity in the world for the explicit purpose of removing something they think is bad called discrimination. And it's so nonsensical, it's so mindless, it's so stupid that you think it's a joke, but they actually did this stuff. Yeah. Um, and you see it in their architecture. Like you, you go to places like um, I was at a Bitcoin conference recently and there was a friend of mine saying, you know, he went through Bulgaria and he's like, I just can't believe it's like all the buildings look the same. You know, it's this ugly, brutalist, dead, drab looking architecture. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's it. They standardized everything. There's no choice, no color, nothing. Like box, box, box. You're lifeless, yeah. and it's it's such a disgusting way to live. 
It's yeah, the, the elimination of, of choice, right? And I mean, I, I can't help but think when you talk about you know all buildings looking the same, uh, housing developments today in, in the United States. I mean, they, they all look exactly the same. You, you drive down a, a cul-de-sac and you have ten houses that you know maybe they can pick different color shutters. That's their choice, yeah, but everything yeah. else is exactly the same. And why are we there? We're there because of the the, the regulations and and, and the, the you know the, the way the market is with with malinvestment and the Federal Reserve manipulating interest. Inter- rates and the housing market um it's it's just a, the whole thing's just a mess but it, it's interesting because that that's the direction you can see it happening in our culture you can see it happening with, with our with our politics in this country so it's, it's very very scary and w- with that in mind i mean i think you know the the two of you have have stated have, have really outlined in this book the uh the, the wrong path and, and and the right path and we can we can talk a little bit more about bitcoin in a minute and maybe that'll be part of this answer but uh, how do we how do we change paths? How do we get off of the the path we're going down in in the United States and in most of the developed world into this sort of uh, croniest communist cortop- uh, cor- cortocracy um, to one of more you know centered around localism and sovereign individualism? I mean, you bankrupt idiots. I mean, you're ju- you're jumping right to the end, uh, the punchline. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> I think uh, uh, you know it, it was a it was a long road to get here, and it's a long road to get out. But I think Alex is you know he he gave the the punchline right. It's uh, at, at the end of the day, and that's kind of where I started out with my intro. Was like I I, I finally felt hope right like we finally have a way that we can affect change because at the end of the day as i already kind of said with the dynamic uh inequalities or or our structures um the fiat money system is what empowers that system to be there and so you have to take away that system and as like fa hayek said um it can't be done by force rather a sly roundabout way introducing something that can't be stopped. And so you can't just take the fiat money system away. No one's ever going to vote for that. No politician will ever win with a platform of re- reducing welfare, you know, uh, payments, right? So, so that's never going to happen by, um, by choice. It's only going to happen by force. And so the system that we have will crash. Some, something else got to be you know, tried. You know, obviously Bitcoin is there and it, and as Alex eloquently said, you, you bankrupt them. Um, I think, you know, there's steps to get there. So obviously education is a big piece of that. And so that's obviously what, you know, this book is for. And so I think if we can get more people thinking about this the right way, it starts there. And that's really where Marxism won, right? So when when communism was defeated in the 70s and the 80s, um, but really, if you go back to the 60s, communism jumped into uh, like, like any good parasite, realizing that the host is dying. It just jumps into the next host and it just found its way right in the, into America, right into the education system. And so it, it launched in the education system, knowing that you start by educating people the right way or what they considered was the right way. And so now all those people that went through that Marxist training have now found themselves in media and banking and politics. And so I think in order to fight that, we also have to do it through education as well, um, which is, is what Alex and I both focus on is education. And so we, we change it that way. Um, but education, um, knowledge isn't power. Only knowledge that's actionable is power. So we have to give them the education, but then they also need a tool in order to affect that change. And um, like I said, no one is ever going to vote or win on, on a vote, you know, win a vote saying that we're going to cut your payments or cut your entitlements. Um, the only way is 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 through force, and so Bitcoin may be the only way. 
Yeah, it's through that, through it's not this, not coercive force, but by voluntary force, right? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, yes. I mean, it's it's voluntary to adopt into Bitcoin. Um, it's coercive in a sense where it would force the change because if they can't just print money to go pay for these things, then they have no choice but to not pay for things. So it kind of forces their hand. But to your point, yes, it's not coercive. It's mm-hmm. it's optional. Yeah, the 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 way I would describe it is kind of like gravity, right? So it's like Bitcoin's this sort of force of uh, economic, like economic force of nature. That's probably how I'd put it. And and sort of what what any intelligent human being would do. Like if you and I always use this example with gravity, right? You 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 go to the edge of a cliff, and as an intelligent human being, you don't jump. Um, you know, or or if you do want to jump, um, as an intelligent human being who is interested in self preservation, you put a goddamn parachute on. Um, like if you jump without the parachute, you're dead. So, so basically with Bitcoin, um, you don't go and send your Bitcoin to a random address. Um, you don't squander it. You don't waste it. You think twice about it because you can't get it back. There's no Bitcoin support hotline to call. Um, and number two is that there's no way to socialize the loss via the creation of more units, via the issuance of more units. And because those two roads are closed off, what it does is every holder of Bitcoin has to think about what they're actually doing and has to orient themselves in a way to acquire more points in the game of, in the economic game of life uh, and do it in the most, you know, uh, how can I say the most adept way um, and generally the most adept way is to either trade with someone or to beat them over the head with a stick and take their shit. Um, but Bitcoin is also like, while I can steal your Bitcoin, it's very, 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 very difficult because you might be someone who's memorized his passphrase um, and holding all their wealth in their head. So if I beat you over the head with a stick, then I've lost it. So I've actually gained nothing. So it really like it chops off the issuance piece it um, it chops off the uh, the support piece, right? So no one can give it back to you. It severely minimizes the um, the taking by force piece, and it kind of you know creates a situation where everyone needs to orient themselves in such a way that in order to win the economic game of life, you need to trade. And lo and behold all of civilization starts to move or reorient itself that direction. So, you know, if you think of money being the, um, the, the ultimate scorecard of civilization, like we, we are all like the money and wealth reflects, you know, the, the position, status, progress, you know, value input and all of that sort of stuff in civilization. Um, if, we can, if we can fix that piece... It's almost, and that's why I think of it like gravity, almost like a light for, um, you know, like a North Star, right? Everyone starts to orient a little bit more towards it. And, and I think we're all underestimating the magnitude of uh, impact that'll have after multiple generations. Like there, there's a lot of people who are too impatient. They're like, oh, you know, Bitcoin's been around for 13 years and look, the world is still fucked. It's like, <laughs> all right, relax for a bit, you know, like Bitcoin's up against the biggest powers that have ever existed. You know, the, the central banks, 
the largest democratic states, communist states. Like Bitcoin has got big fucking enemies, enemies that are going to take a long time to erode and, and defeat. And it's also got to do it in a way that is actually peaceful and nonviolent. That's not going to happen overnight. I, I don't know what some people sort of think. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, okay, you know, I'm going to create my own token and, you know, I'm going to beat Bitcoin. It's like, no, 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 you missed the whole fucking point. The innovation of Bitcoin is that it takes the money, which is the most important technology for a social species. Like you, you can't have a social species without a some form, some medium of exchange, some mechanism to store value. So, so if money is the technology that solves that, Bitcoin is like, energy money because it converts energy into money directly in a way that can't be uh, fraudulently counterfeit or issued and in a way that there's no rewind button. So, so that's like mind-blowing. You institute that in civilization, but you do it in a peaceful way where people actually opt in to buy Bitcoin, not where you force them to use Bitcoin. So it's like Bitcoin's ticking all of these boxes, one after the other after the other. And as we progress... Because people opt into store, you know, the product of their labor, their, their savings in Bitcoin, and there's a minimum, there's, sorry, there's a fixed amount, the purchasing power of Bitcoin increases, which means it's got its own positive feedback loop built into it to attract more people. So it does its own marketing by virtue of its, its existence. And in doing so, it actually defunds the state and it defunds all these institutions because they're not participating in that increase in purchasing power, the holders are, it just, it is the most elegant, the most perfect, the most important, the, the, the only way like we actually get to this. Now, all the other stuff is ancillary. Like, so, you know, we must educate, we must, you know, alternative energy, uh, you know, food, like all these sort of parallel systems are necessary along the way. But, Bitcoin's kind of like the keystone. Like we, you have to build a bridge, but it's that keystone that sits in the middle that actually mm. makes the bridge possible. And and that's where I think a lot of people, particularly in the you know libertarian circles and Austrian circles, like they should be rejoicing that something like Bitcoin has actually emerged and has withstood 13, 14 years of attacks, constant attacks, and it's stronger more anti-fragile than ever before like people should be rejoicing um and and i hope that this podcast and the book um and you know the, the work that you know people are doing kind of awakens the the libertarian and austrian economic sort of uh community to this to this fact like there, there is nothing more important like going and creating another shit coin and sitting there talking about oh it's a free market we can do whatever we want it's like no you missed the damn point you know all you, you're not you're no better than the federal reserve you're just printing your own fucking money um, whereas, you know, this is, th this is, a, you know, a real opportunity to do exactly what you asked. It's like, how do we get out of this conundrum? Well, we starve the state. We, we educate ourselves. We think we build other parallel systems, but this is the, this is the silver bullet in the middle of all the other lead bullets. So rant over. Yeah. I, I think you bring up. Great rant, first of all. But I think you bring up a really good point. I think it was in the early part of the rant where you were talking about, you know, we need to have a, a long time horizon. Um, you know, we, we can't be looking for, for short-term results. And the people that we're up against, the, you know, the so-called elites who are, um, you know, maybe now they're plotting the implementation of uh, central bank digital currencies um, and, and things like that. 
they're not thinking short term; they're thinking long term as well. And and that's the type of you know um, people that we have to we have to outlast. So definitely agree with that. I do want to do a little little pivot here to a different idea in the book. Um, so talking about the idea of the competent individual. And it kind of comes back to that idea of responsibility, which is, I think, an area where a lot of libertarians and anarchists, I don't think, spend enough time um, talking about it and teaching about it. Um, because in order to have th- this type of society, you can't have a, uh, a society that, that's going to be um, you know, prosperous and successful um, unless you have competent individuals, right? So can, can you talk a little bit about really the different characteristics between maybe an incompetent individual and, and a competent individual? Uh, you know, a lot of it, um, as we were, as Alex was just kind of talking about, you know, the Bitcoin and, and, and some of the changes that happens is it changes like incentives, right? And so it changes incentives. And so um, I just spent a week down in Mexico, um, just got back on uh, Tuesday and uh, day before yesterday. And, um, you know, I was talking with one of the local Mexicans there and we were talking, uh, we met this group of um, Venezuelans that are walking and riding buses from Venezuela trying to get to the United States. And they're like um, 18 and 20 year olds. And there was a whole group of them. And um, they walked across this part of Central America called the Darien Gap or the Black Forest that like, you can't get through. And they were showing me pictures, pretty amazing. But um, like they're trying to get to America. And um, we were talking with some of the Mexicans and them. And, um, you know, I was explaining how like America is like this welfare state, right? So if they come, we give welfare and we give education, we give healthcare, all these things. And in Mexico or Venezuela, they don't have that, right? And so they are forced to become a competent individual. They are forced to go provide for themselves to learn. It's on them, right? And um, unfortunately, in the United States with the welfare system and also what Marxism um, promotes, which I think is also why it's so infectious, is that it promotes people to be lower versions of themselves. It leads into their sinful natures, such as greed and envy and sloth. And like uh, Mark says that each according to their ability, each according to their need. So, hey, just whatever you can do, just do, and you're going to have everything that you need. Just be lazy, provide whatever you want, and you'll just get everything you need. All those rich people, you're going to get all their stuff. That's the envy part, right? The greed. You're going to get all that stuff. Um, and so it really incentivizes people to be incompetent or be low versions, be lazy, be slothful, be envious, be greed, you know, use the state to go confiscate from the rich people. Give me everything I need for doing nothing. Whereas we want to encourage people And this book is really, a, as you said, we didn't really dig into the piece, but this book isn't really a refutal of the uh, original book. It's a standalone book that one that we hope provides, uh, you know, a message of hope. Um, but really also motivation for people to become better versions of themselves, to be competent, to realize that they do have some stuff to offer um, and they need to take responsibility for that. Um, you know, in, in the Communist Manifesto, Marx says that uh, the poor, the, the proletariat, they have nothing to offer but their labor. Their labor never equals capital. But we say, well, that's not true. Maybe it was during the time when he wrote the book in the Industrial Revolution at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. But today I have intellectual capital that's worth a lot. Right. I have ideas. Those are worth a lot. And so we think that people should become more competent. Um, and to the point that you made in the question, which is that's really how we can change the world. We need to have a, a society of competent people. Well put. Um, 
So, so something that I've been doing recently on these podcasts, and especially especially when we're talking about talking about a book, because there's going to be, especially with a book like this, it's packed so so full of so many important ideas. There's stuff that we can't talk about, stuff that we miss. So I like to ask my guests for, you know, if, if there's something that we that I didn't ask a question about that 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 you feel is really important um, for the audience to know. Um, it could be a nugget. It could be something expansive that you want to talk about. This is a podcast, so don't don't feel limited. But I, I want to ask each of you, and uh, we'll we'll start with with Alex. Is is there something that I didn't ask you about an idea, a part of the book that you were hoping I, I would today, um, so you would have the the time to really shine a light on it? Hmm. We we did the we did the capitalist thing. Let let me think, Mark. If you've if you've got one in your mind. I'm happy yeah, to well, take it one, while I think one of thing it. I one thing I, I have in mind that I think um I think was a really um we have we have a diagram for it in the book here. Um in we, we tried to keep the same structure as the original book. So it's still still four chapters and each chapter kind of talks about the same context, I should say, but not refuting point by point, but rather just you know a new way to look at things. Um and uh we drew a diagram um trying to find it here the 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 real the real spectrum as we call it here and uh, what we're trying to show here and and back to kind of the definitions and trying to save the word capitalism is really digging in and saying look capitalism is not a political modality capitalism is just natural emergent life that's just natural emergent order like humans were creative and we're always trying to become more efficient um, right we're trying to create a wheelbarrow so i don't have to carry a bunch of things by hand right Um, things like that and it's uh, and so what we did is we kind of drew politics over here with left being whatever socialism communism right being fascism democrats republicans whatever it's all politics which is all you know centrally planned top down control and we capitalism's over here it's just natural emergent order and so i think that was a a big piece and so we kind of talked about um that being um not not even apolitical but really anti-political hmm. and um Lately in the in the Bitcoin community, there's this whole push to like make Bitcoin for progressives and this and that. It's like it, it's not for conservatives, it's not for progressive. It's just it's just natural. It's like, it doesn't need to be assigned to this political party. And I think um, I, I think or maybe I I hope that more people will wake up to this. Obviously, I hope this book helps people wake up to this fact that all of this talk on politics is just kind of a waste of time, and it really just pits us against each other. Um, and uh, really, we want a system that's away from politics where we're just we can be individuals, we can be free. Um, and then again, I think, you know, Bitcoin gives us that that kind of thing. So I think that diagram and that core concept is one that I think I'd like people to get uh, out of the book. Cool. I thought of mine. And um, one, one is a comment on the competence thing that you said earlier. Uh, so I was, I was at a conference recently um, about for for free for it was the free private cities foundation uh they put it on in prague and it was basically a conference where you know all, all sorts of interesting people came and you know all sorts of weirdos like you know the Lieberlands and the you know the seasteading and you know there was there was a good blend of people but basically all with the common desire to you know live a life that is not i guess imposed where you're not imposed upon by the state effectively um and there was a lot of good stuff, but when I got up, I, I did my talk on you know the importance of responsibility because if you if you renounce responsibility, you inadvertently actually drop freedom, 
and, and I don't think a lot of people realize that there's always talk about freedom, 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 but everyone misses the other side of the coin, which is as you, if you want to acquire more freedom, you actually have to take on responsibility. And I think that's actually where it starts is you take the responsibility on for yourself for different things. You know, this is why something like Bitcoin is so important. It's responsible money. Like you hold the key, you run your node, like, and then you are the fucking bank. Um, and you want, you want more freedom in your food? You go and like farm the food, go get to know your farmer. If you have to like that, that's sort of how you solve that. But one of the things I mentioned on there, which was, I'm glad you pulled up the competence piece, is that I think where a lot of the, the freedom movement is lacking is that it's lacking people or personas that are inspiring. Like, if we want to get the world to want to think more libertarian or think more freedom-oriented, um, is people need to be inspired by us. They need, they need to want to be like us. Like we, we need to embody virtues like excellence and greatness and responsibility because that's the thing that draws people. We, we don't need to be, you know, a bunch of weirdos just like, you know, read a couple books on Austrian economics and Mises, argue with each other and then just go back to like living normal lives or whatever we're doing, right? Like th- there needs to be something that draws people. So I think that's number one. Um, but then c- coming back to the book, um, there is something unique we did in the book, which was, you know, kind of like a counter to Marx's uh, book is at the end of chapter two, he's got his 10 points of communism. And mm-hmm. I would encourage everybody to go and look at the 10 points of communism and they'll find a bunch of things in there that they probably were not expecting because they are evident and they actually make up part of the structure of so-called Western free capitalist civilization today. Things like, progressive tax rates, things like uh, education mandated by the state, things like a central bank, things like communications uh, being run by the state, like all of these things. And, you know, Mark said this in the past, is like basically six or seven out of the 10 uh, the U.S. actually has. <laughs> and people say that that's the paragon of capitalism. It's like it's more communist than it is capitalist. Um, and what we did was we gave our 10 points of basically freedom and responsibility for lack of a better term or the 10 uncommunist points, you know, which is the preservation of, uh, the absolute preservation of private property, you know, the, the right to defend oneself, um, the, the, the use and adoption of a monetary standard that can't be, uh, manipulated or controlled or run by someone, um, or all these sorts of things in there, like, you know, educate grassroots, uh, education basically. So, you know, the, the right and the ability to, uh, educate as you see fit, not by some, you know, status mandate. So, so all of these things. So, so I'd encourage people to definitely check out the communist 10 points, then stop and think for a minute and be like, what do you see around the world? And then, you know, pick up our book if you, if you so wish and see what we've sort of written out and, and just ask yourself, like literally, what do you think would move the world more towards heaven? And what do you think will move the world more towards hell? you know, based on those two 10 points and then make a conscious decision on, you know, for yourself, like which, which sort of, you know, list of ideologies or I shouldn't say ideologies, which, which list of ideals, you know, would I prefer to live mm-hmm. in accordance with, you know, for, for the good of the world. So anyway, that's, um, that's a point I think it's pretty important. Awesome. 
Well, we're, we're running low on time here, so I want to give you each a chance to, uh, to give your plugs. I mean, number one, where can people buy the book? And, uh, and, and also, you know, your personal plugs, where they, can, where they can find you on social media and, and your other work. So if you want to go first, Mark. Uh, yeah, so uh, for sure, you know, go get the book. <laughs> it's on Amazon. Just search uh, on Communist Manifesto on there. Um, get a copy. We've, you know, we've priced it uh, cheap. We're capitalists, but we, we just want to get the word out as best as we can. Uh, we'd ask if you could just leave a review. That'd be great. Uh, you can come back to the website, uncommunist.com, and then um, get access to a bunch of extra behind-the-scenes freebies, recordings, uh, dialogue, things like that. Um, so check those out. Um, as far as for me, um, just at the number one, at one Mark Moss. .com. You can find everything there or um, on social media, at one Mark Moss. I'm pretty active on Twitter. And Instagram, so you can check me out there. Oh, and then just uh, on YouTube, just search Mark Moss as well. All right, Alex. Sweet. Uh, my one, I mean, Mark already outlined where to get the book from and all the, there's some actually some real good bonuses, like some behind the scenes stuff that Mark and I did, like when we're actually writing the book, uh, we recorded some interviews. We've actually got a list of all the podcasts we've been on, so this will go on there as well. Um, if people want to check out all the different discussions. Um, we've been on some cool ones. There's, uh, we were actually on Alex Jones, which was hilarious. So if you know anyone wants to see that one, that one was really good. Um, that was before he was he was sued for, or before he lost a billion a dollars, for a billion dollars, yeah. and uh, yeah, insanity. Yeah, absolute insanity. So, um, so yeah, there. Um, and then my stuff. Uh, I guess I have a link tree. So linktree.com forward slash Svetsky, just my surname. But um, I'm, I think I'm about to set up Svetsky.info. So by the time this comes out, that might be available. So people can um, just type that in. They can see all my links there. But my Twitter is Svetsky Writes. Uh, so writing like, um, you know, W-R-I-T-E-S um, if they want to check that out. So, yeah. All right, Mark Moss, Alex Svetsky, the Uncommunist Manifesto. Thank you guys for coming on Finding Freedom. Thanks, Thanks John. John. Appreciate it. All right, all right. Hope you enjoyed that episode of Finding Freedom. I really did. And, you know, these guys reached out to me a couple months ago, had a little bit of trouble booking this. They're both living. Um, you know, one on the West Coast and, and one traveling around different parts of the world. So we had some trouble getting this on the calendar. But man, I, I was really, really happy with this interview and really enjoyed the conversation. And the book itself, we didn't get to everything in it. There's a lot we did not get to discuss, but a tremendous book. And really, I mean, to be perfectly honest, much, much better um, th- than I expected the book to be. Just the ideas that were discussed Really, it was it wasn't just debunking the Communist Manifesto. It was really mapping out um, the the opposition to it and how we win. So that's what I am all about here at Finding Freedom. I know that's what you are all about listening to this show every single week. So thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in again as you do. Please subscribe on the Lions of Liberty Network feed or on the Finding Freedom solo feed. And with that said, let's get on out of here. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.